0: On the show today, Vody Bauckham warns us of three red flags to look out for in the church, as well as how our faith can stand in a post-Christian America. Then our Bible topic, we will get back to our discussion in Mark Jones' book, Knowing Sin. It should be a good show, so let's get to it.
1: Welcome in and uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are very grateful that you're here. If you're new, this is your first time. We like to get it uh, out up front and early that we ourselves are not religionless. This show is not religionless. Um, in fact, it's very Christian. We are very Christian. Um, but it's the country and the world that we live in that is becoming increasingly secular increasingly religion list, you could say. Mm -hmm. So that, at least in part, is where the name comes from. If you want to know the rest of the story, you have to go watch one of our first three episodes. You can find it on the channel. Um, Go give those a listen to figure out who we are and why we're doing this. Um, But we're going to try today to do what we always do, Uh, take a look at the news, you know, things from around the world, uh, and look at them from a Christian perspective, and just help Christians understand you know the world that we live in, the news that we see on a weekly, daily basis, and do it all with a, I guess, a mindset on being pleasing to God through the midst of it all. That's our goal here, and we're going to try that today by looking at uh, discussion topics, like Nikki said, from um, one of our favorites, Vodi Bakum, stuff that he discussed. So we do have a good show. Getting back to our Bible topic, uh, Mark Jones's book will be good. It's a good chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but before we get to all of it, is there anything you'd like to say? Any prayer requests that you might have? Praise reports?
0: Uh, just thank you guys for your prayers. Our trip home was really good. Um, yeah, the whole trip was really nice. Great weather. Um, whenever it rained, it was only when we were traveling. So that was fine. <laughs> okay with me. Um, yeah, we had our 20-year high school reunion. That was really nice connecting with people, like just seeing how everyone was doing and it was just surprising so many people have moved out of the state and i didn't realize so many had like a couple in california um florida north carolina and so many are are really doing well and it was just so good to hear and connect and hopefully um try to stay in touch with some people after reconnecting with them after 20 years <laughs> but yeah it was a really good reunion it was really nice
1: Yeah, it was great. We're not very good at keeping in touch with people. Nikki's much better than I am, but even still the high school friends and stuff.
0: Even with social media.
1: (laughs) Even with social media, we didn't do that great of a job with it, but it was really nice to meet up with some of them uh, or all of them. There wasn't any that way. It wasn't nice (laughs) to meet up with, but it was cool. So thank you for that. The travels worked out well. The van, it's a champ. It held up, up, you know, even through all the heat. So that was a blessing. God has been good to us. Uh, and, uh, I will just say for prayer requests, um, pray for Maui. Uh, that's still sort of an ongoing issue as is they're seeking, um, to find the, you know, people that were injured, possibly dead, those sorts of things. So pray for the healthcare workers, the first responders and all of those that are out doing that work. Um, pray for them. Pray also for those that were affected by, the fire, which is just a strange thing to say, you know, a blazing fire on an island. Very, very strange. But pray for them, you know, in times of great tragedy, you're either, seems like you're either kind of drawn towards God and you lean into your faith or you're driven from God. Mm -hmm. And uh, just pray that, you know, in this time of tragedy, they would be um, leaning into God more, looking to him to find their hope to get through. So pray for Maui. And then um, the next prayer request, uh, pray that Texas uh, would win in court. So Texas, as I saw this article last week, they're taking Planned Parenthood to court. And in this article, Planned Parenthood says basically that if they lose this court case to Texas, it'll bankrupt their company. They'll go out of business. Um, they could, they're potentially staring at owing about $1.5 billion or so. If they lose this court case, so
0: the government will support them and keep them running.
1: I don't think they could. I don't think they could give them that much money or funnel them that much money. I mean, who knows? At the end of the day, what our government kind of just does be like
0: fundraisers for it. Like, you go to the checkout lane and like donate a dollar to Plain Parenthood.
1: Yeah, I hope (laughs) not. It's usually
0: to like schools, kids or pets. You can give (laughs) to 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 Ronald
1: McDonald (laughs) House or to kill children. Um, but yeah, pray that Texas wins. Um, the article will be linked. If you want to go give a read over what they're taking them to court for. Um, but at the end of the day, who cares (laughs) if it bankrupts Planned Parenthood and more babies get to live, Mm -hmm. that's a big win. So pray for Texas, pray for the judges and the lawyers that God moves on their heart to spare children. That would be a wonderful prayer. So we are kind of, releasing this episode a bit out of our normal cycle of releasing on Saturday. You know, this one obviously came out a bit early, a couple days early. Um, That's because we tried to record this episode last week when we were on the road. Um, We did everything we could and um, ran into a series of technical difficulties that just kind of made releasing the episode um, not really possible. So that's why we're releasing it now, recording it now. I just telling Nikki, it, what a blessing to sit down here in our little studio and record. And it's just awesome. But uh, we also, so just kind of looking forward, we're still going to have, you know, if you're watching this today, it comes out. We're still going to have our normal episode come out on Saturday. And uh, just as a look ahead, we're going to be discussing the Republican presidential um, debate that just happened. And also Donald Trump's interview with Tucker Carlson. That's going to kind of be what the Saturday show focuses on. So um, if you like our show and uh, you haven't yet, consider subscribing. Um, Or if our discussion on Republican presidential candidates sounds interesting, consider subscribing, dropping a like, that sort of stuff. Come leave us a comment. If you're on the podcast, thank you. Uh, Consider leaving a review there if you have the option. all that stuff would be a blessing. Find us on social media, send us an email. We want to hear from you guys. We want to talk with you, discuss these topics. As we used to say quite often, we'll say here again, we're not pastors, theologians, apologists, anything of that sort. So, you know, we're open to different differing opinions on the topics that we talk about. We have our thoughts, mm-hmm. our beliefs, but if you don't agree with us, come let us know. We want to have that discussion. But, uh, That's just a little bit of a look ahead. If you want to help the show out more directly, uh, you can support the show. We have affiliate links down in the show notes to like Amazon, Best Buy, that sort of stuff, Christian Books. Um, We also have a Buy Me A Coffee link down there if you want to just support the show. That would all be a great blessing. So let's just go ahead and get our plugs out of the way here and then we will dive into our discussion uh, topic. So you guys know that we are um, big fans of Cardinal Contingency Solutions, and um, if you have missionaries, a church, you're going overseas for yourself, you're traveling to, you know, a foreign country that maybe you're unfamiliar with, Cardinal, they can work for you. They can help put together a plan, you know, let you know what exists in the area, what assets either for you or against you exist in that area, build you out really thought-out plans that can help make sure you, your team, whoever happens to be, is safe and you return home safely. Um, If you're a first responder, you know, their counter-messaging, counter-exploitation is fantastic. They're training there, so reach out to Cardinal. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And then also, you guys know we are proud members of the Christian Podcast community, happy to be there. Um, It's a great place to go and find about 50 to 60 good Christian podcasts. Um, We're adding new podcasts all the time. The uh, Andrew Rappaport, if you guys remember, we've had him on the show a couple times. He just sent out more links with a couple uh, more podcasts that were applying to be included on the, the Christian podcast community. I listened to one of them so far. It was good. So I'm going to recommend that they be allowed to join. So that's kind of one of the cool things about the Christian podcast community. It's not just a free-for-all. You kind of have to, um, you know, make sure that the the rest of the community is in favor of you. It doesn't mean that we all agree on theology and this sort of stuff. But, you know, we want to make sure that you don't have some, you know, somebody that's out in left field ranting on some crazy stuff. We, we weed all that out. So, uh, links to Christian Podcast Community will be down in the show notes as well if you want to go find them. I think you'd be blessed by it. So, All right, we're going to hit the music. We haven't had the news music in a long time, but we are uh, discussing, as Nikki said, um, red flags in the church. So I think that that is news music worthy. Um, So what we're going to do is take a look at a two-part interview that Vodi Bakum did with the Christian Post, uh, christianpost.com. And if you guys that have, you know, you've been around here for a while, you know that we are very fond of Vodi Bauckham you know so when he has something to say we try as much as we can to listen pay attention and uh, that's what we're doing here today so in part one of this interview that he does with the Christian Post Vodi is speaking about red flags that we should all be looking out for in the church today so do you want to read this headline honey
0: Vody Balcom identifies three red flags churches are capitulating to modern neo-Marxist ideology. This is part one.
1: Part one. So we're going to go through these three red flags point by point, uh, and then we'll move on to Article 2. And in Article 2, um, Vody is discussing how faith can survive in a post-Christian culture. So that's part two of the interview. That's obviously important. Uh, Obviously, the name of the show, we discussed that already. Post-Christian culture is what we're walking into if -hmm. we're not already there. So um, let's start by just going through and looking at this first red flag. So do you want to read this first red flag?
0: Beginning with a de-emphasis of the Bible, where there is a lack of commitment to systematically teach and exposit the scriptures. He says, there's not a commitment to a systematic exposition of the Bible. And what we hear from the pulpit is rooted and grounded in more psychology and philosophy than text and theology.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a red flag for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we were going to all the red flag churches before we didn't even know it.
1: Yeah, I think in yeah. a lot of respects we were. I mean, that's something we can definitely attest to. Um, This idea, you know, no commitment to systematic exposition, you know, in our own lives personally, thirty-five years really of Christian living, um, you know, in the church, both of us our entire lives, you know, for those thirty-five years, and I never, to my knowledge, heard biblical exposition from the pulpit. Um, It
0: wasn't. We we looked for churches based on like, are there like good small group, like kind of like just what's in it for us. Is it entertaining? Is the pastor funny? Is he just engaging? Like, you don't need those things to be taught scripture.
1: Yeah, I mean, largely we did look for churches for a lot of the the wrong reasons. Um, Not to say that some of those things aren't nice. You know, if you got good music and, you know, a nice building, all these sorts of things, and the pastor should be engaging. He should, you know, all those sorts of things. But we weren't really looking for really the meat of why we were going to church, which mm-hmm. was to learn the word of God. Um, so it wasn't until really about three years ago when we um, actually, through some friends of ours, kind of got pointed to, and we had been trending in that direction, but we went and found a church, found a pastor, Pastor Bill Kane, who preached verse by verse, mm-hmm. book by book through the Bible. And, you know... Up until that point, the first 35 years, I don't know that I'd ever even heard of biblical exposition. Again, growing up in the church, been a Christian, around Christians, all that for 35 years. I don't know that I ever even heard the term of biblical exposition before, let alone sit in a church. it's not
0: even a new thing. This is what it used to be.
1: No, it's the oldest thing.
0: (laughs) I was just reading. What's that book I found at the hotel? It was really cool. I found two really good books at the hotel, like the Take a Book, Leave a Book.
2: Yeah, something
0: with the eleventh hour. A book, though. Something, well, yeah. We didn't leave a book. We didn't have one to leave. But anyway, it was like the rescued in
1: the eleventh hour. Yeah,
0: and it was like fifteen hundred something, and you know, in England, and you'd get burned at the stake if for having a Bible or having read it and believing what it said. And the people would gather in homes, and someone, you know, the the one who lived in the home, I guess, would they would sing psalms together, read the scriptures, and expound on the scriptures. That's what it was. They, that was church, and that was it. It was simple, and the people loved it. That's what they wanted to do. They came home. you know, They were done with work for the day, and they'd all gather in homes because they were hungry for the word, and they wanted someone to expound on it. And, and if they're reading the scriptures – you can't twist it to say something else. They're hearing it. They're reading it as well. That's how it, that's what church is supposed to be. And that's, it's just crazy. Like it's, this is not a new, it's new for us the past few years. It's like, we never heard of that. and that's Right.
1: And that's, you know, shame on us. Obviously there are many a Christian that weren't in the same boat as us. So a bit of shame on us that we didn't But, you know, again, we thought we were Christians. We thought we were living the Christian life.
0: You don't know what you don't
1: know. Right. Um, And, you know, we had probably been to 20 different churches or so just in our life together the past 20 years or whatever that we've been together. Um, Maybe more than that, but all of them were topical churches. They preached topical messages. um, And I just never really thought that there was a different way to preach. I just thought this is how you preached. Um,
0: Yeah. Like the sermon shouldn't be about... Now how do you apply this to your life? It should be more about now who is Christ. Do you believe it? This is what God said. Do you believe it? It's about believing the words of God, not like how can I make this applicable? Right, and need there to is make some it applicable. You just need to believe well, it. Well,
1: I mean you should. If well, there's a way to make yeah, the word Yeah, there's some that are
0: obvious. But there's a
1: way to make it applicable to you that's not Stephen Furtig. you know, we talked about <laughs> Moses, Moab month, you know, it's not about you necessarily. Yeah. Now, can you pull out some truth to live by to, and all this sort of stuff? Sure. But, you know, yeah. again, when we've been in these churches, it's basically every passage was used to, you know, speak to you, you are, you know, in every passage of the Bible. And really that's because it was topical. So they had a topic and they found verses to support the topic and this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, You know, and, Again, we didn't even know that there was anything wrong with that. We just thought this is what you do um so we, we were can... not
0: growing in our faith for many years.
1: No, no, not at all. We I mean
0: where we are today
1: no, we've definitely serious... grown more in the last three years than probably the first thirty five combined. So that's for sure, but I mean, this is absolutely true, as Vodi says here, you know not not a commitment to systematic exposition of the Bible um you know, because the Bible should be opened up, you know, every verse should be preached on every book should be taught, right? That's Paul's, you know, the whole counsel of God. And yeah, just um, think
0: about it, like, the church is like, if we knew, I mean, it is probably like soon, that having a Bible is going to be illegal again, you know, we have this kind of persecution on the horizon. And if you really know that's coming, you're going to want to teach your congregation the scriptures. They're not going to need to remember all those self-help sermons. That's not going to help their faith. They're going to need to know the words of God. What does his word say? What are the truths of scripture about God and about endure, um, persevering in the faith?
1: Right. I mean, that that is the job of a pastor, to teach God's word all of it, you know, and some of it's easier to understand than others, right? I can sort of open up the gospel of Matthew and read it and, you know, I can understand it. I may need a little more help from a pastor to go through Habakkuk, (laughs) you know, that's your job, right? So, um, and I need to know Habakkuk, it's in the book for a reason, so we need it, but, Mm -hmm. um, and not to say, and I'll just mention it's not to say that there's never a time for topical preaching, of course there is, Um, but it shouldn't be the only style of preaching and it shouldn't be in uh, in place of going verse by verse, book by book through the Bible. Um, for different times and different seasons, there might be, a, uh, it might be applicable, but it shouldn't be the meat of what you're going through. So, and then like he says there, again, we can kind of attest to it. it these, the churches we went through or went to these topical preaching, you know, it's, it is a version of self-help the self-help gospel, right? Um, which again, would make sense if what Vody says is true, that it's all, or mostly it's based in psychology and not necessarily scripture, right? Everything's about you. It's overcoming your battles, you know, victory in your life, and prosperity in your life, and all of this sort of stuff. It seems like a lot of psychology and not necessarily righteousness and um, godly living. So mm-hmm. uh, we can definitely attest to point number one. Definitely look out for that. If you're not getting verse by verse, book by book, exposition, if you don't know what systematic exposition is, Google it. (laughs) You can find out what it is, and you should be seeking out a church that preaches that way. And if your pastor doesn't, encourage him to. You know, don't just abandon him. Encourage him and say, hey, you know what? I'd love for you to just open up a book in, you know, the New Testament, Old Testament, start with romans right maybe the greatest work of theology that's ever been written have him open it up and just go verse like encourage your pastor to be a pastor and it'll help his faith grow to study out every verse every word like that's what he should be doing so he can deliver it to you so
0: yeah there's um there's a web there's probably several websites where you can look up churches like this because it's you don't just know what churches Preach that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to have to do some work if you've never been around that before.
0: If a church does that, they're going to state it on their website. That's
1: mostly for the, yeah. But also, I would just say let that be a secondary option. The first option should be go and encourage your pastor to do this. Yeah, um, Yeah. Because your church needs it just as badly as, you know, the other church who is doing it. So I would encourage that. Reach out to your pastor encourage them. And then if it's not going to you know, work out for you, then you may have to go and find something else. But um, definitely a red flag to look out for. So do you want to read red flag number two?
0: All right. The second red flag involves the church's alignment with post-Christian culture. Bauckham noted that some leaders preach messages that resonate with the values and agendas of the secular world, including issues related to LGBTQ plus concerns. He says, you begin to hear things in the church from the pulpit, from the leadership that resonate with this post-Christian culture. For example, LGBTQ plus, whatever agendas.
1: Now, you know, on this point, you know, looking back at point number one, expositing scripture, That could be difficult to understand that it's a problem or a difficult problem to even see if you've never been exposed to the alternative. You know, for 35 years, we didn't even understand that that was a problem. So that one can be tricky to understand. You know, you think you're getting good sermons, you feel great when you leave church, you don't recognize that you're missing so much. Um, But once again, like we said, once you hear the real thing, it is hard to go back to just topical preaching you know, because there's so much in the Bible we need to understand. Um, But this point here, point number two, if you hear talk like this in your church, especially if it's involving the LGBTQ lifestyles, and it's a discussion in any other fashion besides like a resounding renunciation of those sins,
0: yeah,
1: it should be alarm bells going off in your head. Like you should be in the point of either, you know, Standing up and shouting the preacher down from the congregation, or you know, you just get your kids up and you go. Maybe send an email after the fact letting them know that you were displeased or that they are off base. Um, But you should leave that church if you find yourself. And I don't know how you would just stumble upon it and not recognize it, but you know, we've seen a lot of people, you know, kind of that we thought not just in the religious world, but even in politics and stuff that we thought maybe were steadfast and they were people you could trust. And then as this, you know, satanic pride movement has sort of swallowed up everything and people that we thought were solid aren't anymore. So you may be in a church um, that kind of catches you off guard. But if you hear something like this with the LGBT lifestyles, if they're soft um, on any really any sin, if they're soft on any sin, boy, that should be a red flag for you to just start looking elsewhere, start reaching out to the pastor to correct him. And if it doesn't change quickly, maybe it's time to move on. And I would say this goes much further than just the LGBTQ agenda, of course. Um, If you've heard this old audio, I think it came out or it was a few months old, but it came out two weeks ago or something. It resurfaced. This audio from matt chandler this sort of fits in perfectly with what Vody's talking about so let's listen to matt chandler and then we'll discuss it
2: to give an illustration of this just most recently um the the village church is in the process of rolling off our multi-site um campuses to be autonomous churches we've been looking and, and having conversations and i have called Um, every African-American man I know eh, and went, who you got, I need, here's what I need. Here's 2,000 people in an $11 million building, go lead them. And so one of the firms that's helping us find men said, let me ask you a question, Pastor Matt, if if we find an Anglo eight and an African-American seven, which one do you want? I said, I want the African-American seven. And he said, what if we find an Anglo eight and an African-American six? And then I said, then give me the Anglo eight, because the African-American six will look and feel to our people like the kind of tokenism that I'm preaching against.
1: (laughs) Yeah, uh, affirmative action in the church, I would say is a definite no go. You know, especially this kind of D.I.E., like the secular version of D.I.E., It has no place in the church today. Um, But on the positive side, listening to this, you know, if you applied for a elder or a pastoral position at Matt Chandler's Village Church and you didn't get the job, at least you can know now that it's either because you're just the wrong color (laughs) um, or you're the right color, but your qualifications are just so light. That you couldn't even qualify for the affirmative action that That's Matt Chandler is pitching. So, uh, boy, does that make you feel good? But man, Matt Chandler's about on a roll, huh? This last year, um, getting church discipline, race baiting, things are aren't going well there at the Old Village Church. But you know, this is another thing. So, like the LGBTQ stuff, I would say this is the same thing. If you're sitting in the pew there and your pastor starts pitching affirmative action, you should be like gee, this is not normal. Um, I mean, you could say the same thing about these like climate alarmists, you know, the global warming sort of climate alarmists or really anything that's kind of this far left propaganda, you know, Mm -hmm. and this means in one sense, you're going to have to be tuned in actually paying attention to what's being said and what's being discussed because, you know, smart people are able to say things in a clever way say it without really saying it. So you kind of have mm-hmm. to be tuned in and know what's being said there. Yep. But all of this sort of stuff. And it can go the other way too, right? If your pastor's up there telling you how, you know, whatever, you got to vote for Donald Trump to save America and all this sort of stuff. I'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, so it can go either way, right? Um, but this should be alarming to you if you hear this sort of stuff from the pulpit. Um, And I think this is a sure sign that you're dealing with a church and probably a pastor that might be more engaged in the world than in scripture. And that's a definite red flag. Um, And just in the case of Matt Chandler, you know, I would say that there is probably an area in which this type of like racial or ethnic profiling would be acceptable. I think there are times and places where this is acceptable, like If you're maybe, you know, doing an international church plant, you know, if you're planting a church in Southwest Asia, Africa, the Middle East, whatever happens to be, yeah, in a situation like that, I would say it would be wise to look for a native pastor, Yes, you know, not to say that you couldn't put like an old white British guy in a church down in the Congo. If he's a godly man, he can do it, but it would be Better, I would say, if you could find a native to that region, somebody who looked like them, talk like them, that sort of stuff. Same thing goes for like missionary work. Yeah, it's great to have. Um, this is why Nikki and I used to, um, we used to support, uh, what was it called? Uh, uh,
0: Gospel for Asia? The
1: Gospel for Asia, because that was their whole kind of shtick was, yeah, we can send missionaries or we could just find missionaries. In the local community and support them to do the work. And you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I
0: already know. Yeah. So it It makes way more sense.
1: I think in that setting, sure. Saying I want somebody who looks like the people in that country speaks like the people understands the culture, but that's not what Matt Chandler is saying. He's talking about like Dallas Metroplex. Um, So in that case, you're just kind of race baiting for no good reason. Um, So I would avoid that type of affirmative action in the church or really, like I said, all of that sort of, you know, cultural or societal propaganda that we get fed on a daily basis. A pastor, and again, maybe this builds on itself, right? If a pastor isn't in the word, expounding on the word, exposing these sorts of things, dissecting it, um, but is just more in the topical you know, maybe that leads into being more engaged in society and the culture. And, you know, then you're preaching and your, you know, thoughts and everything tends more towards cultural issues rather than sticking strictly to the word uh, and that sort of stuff. So Mm. definitely a red flag to watch out for there. If they're preaching propaganda from the pulpit, uh, again, first step would be reach out to the pastor, offer correction. Um, But if they're not going to accept that correction— Then, yeah, it definitely would be time to go looking elsewhere, in my opinion. So do you want to read point number three here?
0: Finally, he said, apologizing for essential Christian doctrines is another red flag indicating a departure from true biblical uh, Christianity. We're apologizing for the creation myth. We're apologizing for the gospel. We're apologizing for the Reformation. Apologizing for Christian morality, these sorts of things. These are some signs that things have gone very wrong.
1: Yes, I would agree.
0: Um, Yeah, it makes me think Michael Todd, when at uh, Transformation Church, when he was apologizing to his church that God uh, only made two genders. And he wasn't agreeing with the word. He was kind of like, really like, I'm so sorry. He didn't like apologizing to the people who he believed were some other gender. Because he even said like, if I could have been there when he was creating male and female, I would have brought it up to him. Like, maybe you could do something in between or. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm sure God was waiting anxiously for Michael Todd's opinions. That's like the epitome of so close yet so far away. You're like, ah, you're. Yeah, you're telling them it's male and female. I mean, I'm wearing my Genesis 127 shirt right now. He created them male and female. But you're like, he created a male and female. But I wish he didn't. Like, oh, come on, man. You were so close. Um, But again, we're, of course, completely on board with this. Because if you're a preacher, I mean, you are God's, you know, representative, his mouthpiece in the world. So you better not be apologizing for what his word has to say. And I would say something that's, you know, um, pertinent to our society today, this even goes for slavery, you know, slavery in the Bible.
0: Okay, specific kind of, type of slavery, though, what's going right? On sure, today, But I
1: mean, this is that. kind of the atheist, the secularist, kind of their favorite drum to beat against Christians is, well, what about slavery in the Bible? Um, and you know, how many preachers over the years have kind of ducked or made excuses or tried to you know, get out of that sort of discussion. I mean, we even have Bible translations and really good translations that have kind of softened their text. You know, they'll use the word servant instead of slave, where Mm -hmm. slave is actually the better translation. You know, so if you're a preacher, you know, you're there to be God's mouthpiece. God ordained it, right? Whether it's slavery, whatever the hard topic is, Christian morality, God ordained it. So you preach it, and you sh- you better be doing it without excuse.
0: I had a really good um, perspective of it. Just again, that same book I, w- that I just finished reading. The what was it called again? The eleventh hour.
1: Rescued at the eleventh hour. We'll have links in the show notes That's to that book, book if you want to go pick it up. It's a short read and it's easy. We were like, boy, this would be a great sort of Bible study um, book because it kind of goes through the Reformation doctrines and they're like arguing against catholicism so if you're unsure of the differences between protestantism and roman catholicism this book is very good and lays it out very simply so
0: but the um the master of the house you know the father in this book he had a a servant um he wasn't called a slave but i can just imagine this is the way it went in the bible the servant wanted to go back and take care of his master's house even while his master who's a christian was taken to prison he wanted to stay and faithfully serve him and take care of his master's household and i thought wow he's a he's a slave and he doesn't want to just run away like they had a relationship you know he they he took they took care of each other really, um because the master yeah. was old, um so it was right just kind and that's of our to...
1: picture of slavery, you know obviously biblical slavery in many respects is not American you know chattel slavery or the sex slavery and stuff that we see today, but yeah I mean the picture is Christ is master we are slave mm-hmm. and that's a relationship we want that is yeah that is the setup that we want. We want to be slaves of Christ. That's the best place for us to be. As Christians, we understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I would say in the same vein, you know, obviously not apologizing for it. um, But I would say maybe being sensitive about different topics that you might discuss, you know, maybe saying something to the effect of like, listen, I apologize that some of you may not want to hear this, right? But here it is, right? Maybe you're talking about abortion, Hey, I understand there might be some of you who have had abortions and this is hard to hear, Yeah, but this is the word of God. We're going to talk about it, you know, not apologizing per se, but being sensitive. I think that's Mm -hmm. fine. I think it's smart. That's what you should do, right? As Christians, we should be loving people and not wanting to just, you know, bludgeon them over the head and make them feel bad or whatever. But
0: talk about the mercy and forgiveness of God when you talk about those things that might.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's That's a really harsh and... a smart way to do it. Um, and I would say it even goes into the point of like talking about maybe tough doctrines, um, things that you may understand that others may have a hard time or may not agree with you on. You know, like Nikki and I, we're Calvinists, basically. Uh, we believe in election, limited atonement, and all that. Um, so I think I could, in that kind of vein of tough doctrines and things like I could make a point on something and at the same time point out that I understand that not everyone's going to agree or agree with that interpretation, that take and all that sort of stuff, not trying to offend whatever happens to be. But I do hope that you would never hear me, you know, say something to the effect of, I apologize, you know, for, you know, maybe it's election. I apologize for the doctrine of election. I don't like it either, but he- Yeah, I hope you'd never hear me say that if you do. Let me know, and I'll repent of, you know, that sin. But, you know, you could say like, hey, you know, election is a tough doctrine, right? Many don't agree with it. And even those who do don't fully understand it, right? But when I read the Bible, it's what I see. Um, In my eyes, that's what I see. It's there. So that's what I'm going to proclaim. That's what I'm going to share. Um, So why would I say I'm sorry for that? If I think that's what God said and that's what he meant— I shouldn't say, I'm sorry for that. Just, hey, you may not like it. I don't want to offend you. There it is, right? And that could go for a hundred other different topics, right? You know, um, even again, like we talked about with Roman Catholicism, Protestantism. It's not to go out there and just say, you're an idiot. You got it all wrong, yada, yada. It's, hey, listen, I'm reading it. Let's read it together. This is what I see. I'm sorry if it goes against what you believe, Let's discuss it. Let's, you know, whatever happens to be, you can be sensitive, um, but you should never just say, "Listen, I'm sorry." You know, I, you know, again, I wish God wouldn't have done it. You know, I wish that things would have been different. You should never be saying that. Let's look at the
0: scripture together, and you judge. But this is the scripture. Maybe you haven't seen this before. I mean, that you don't need to defend scripture. It defends itself, proves itself.
1: Right. And I mean, even on the other side of that, if you're sitting and listening to something, you know, try not to be easily offended. If you have a, a pastor who has, again, you found a good biblical exposition church, he's staying in the word, and, you know, you trust all this, then you should be, um, you know, you should understand that they're coming from a good place, even if they say things you don't like or you don't agree with, you know. Um So don't be so easily offended that when the pastor says something about abortion, you know, the sin, uh, you know, this sort of stuff that you just, I'm out of here. This guy's a jerk and he, you know, whatever. You know, you could go, well, I know he's a good man. I know he studies the word. I know he loves God. So I don't agree with him here. But, you know, let me have a little bit of humility. Let me see if what he's saying is worthwhile. Let me ask questions, send an email, this sort of stuff. And not just, you know, so it works both ways. You don't want to be you know, mean-spirited, but you don't want to also just be sort of weak emotionally on the other side so that every message you hear, because again, that's how you wind up in a seeker-sensitive church where they just tell you God loves you, he wants to supercharge your life, he wants to lavish you with money, he's, you know, your best friend, because they know if they say something actually harsh, you're going to get up and leave, right? So if you don't want to be in a watered-down Andy Stanley church, then you better toughen up a little bit, you know, and because um, the Bible is not a fairy tale. It's not a Disney story, you know? <laughs> so there's some tough stuff in there. You got to deal with it. But your pastor should not be apologizing for it. That is the uh, That was our, what, yeah. third point there? So one other point that I want to bring up in this article uh, that Vody mentions is something that we've talked about on our show before, but I think anytime you have the opportunity to speak on it, um, we should speak on it. So it says in here, a May 2021 survey from, the, from Evangelical pollster George Barna found that just 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Similarly, survey data compiled in January 2020 showed that only 2% of millennials hold a biblical worldview, even though 61% identify as Christian. So, you know, again, we've talked about this before, um, but it's always worth reiterating. This is not a Christian nation. Is I believe it once was. You know, others may disagree with that, but it certainly is not now um, because you're not Christian if you don't have a biblical worldview. Uh, you know, so whatever this other 55% of people are claiming to be, you know, they're claiming to be Christian. It's not Christian because if you don't believe the Bible, what are you getting your Christianity? Like, what are you basing it on? Uh, So we can read here. I just pulled Luke 16, uh, starting in verse 29. If you want to read that, honey, see if I can pull it up here.
0: But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead.
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, the same can be said for us today. We've got Moses and the prophets. We were just talking about Habakkuk, you know, all the Old Testament books. We've got them, the same, same writings, same teachings. We got Christ and the apostles. You know, so if you don't believe all of that, you're not a Christian, you know. Um, You might like some aspects of the faith. You might like the idea of heaven more than hell. uh, But if you don't believe the Bible, you're not a Christian. Um, Even the tough stuff, even the hard spots.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking on like how Satan's working today. Um, You know, just Christians just used to be killed i mean they still are today obviously but just not here but it's like satan's plan of attack here is to infiltrate the churches and just make people so complacent when it comes to scripture and make christians be worldly it's like instead of killing them off physically kill them spiritually they're like spiritually asleep spiritually they are spiritually dead. I mean, if you're born again, you're going to know the voice of God. You're going to want to study the scriptures. But it is like a different type. I, I don't know if I would call it like a – it's not a persecution, but it is another tactic um, of yeah, Satan I mean, it's to a very... kill the church by making it spiritually Yeah, dead. to
1: convince the church that you can be a Christian without believing in Christ or believing his teachings. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, a smart tactic. Hey, call yourself a Christian. Put your cross necklace on, go to church and get a latte. It's all good. But if you don't actually believe the teachings, you don't put your faith, you're not obedient, all these sorts of things, you're not Christian. Like, um,
0: too easy. He doesn't need to even be over here. He just got the ball rolling and... What does yeah. he need to do to come against us, really? I mean.
1: <laughs> so I would just say examine your own heart. Um, you know, if if there's things, if you've been led to this camp where like, eh, you know, I'm not sure, right, if, you know, if Genesis is actual history, if, you know, the miracles are necessarily true, or, you know, all this sort of stuff that people believe, if that's you, I would pray. I would ask that God would, you know, um, strengthen your faith, help you to believe, right? Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I would pray that regularly uh, because, again, you don't believe Moses and the prophets. You don't believe Christ and the apostles. You're not a Christian. Um, and that's a dangerous, that's a scary place to be because hell awaits people that aren't Christian. <laughs> not a place you want to be. Uh, so last thing here from this first article, uh, Vodi Bachum says, let me see if I can find it here before I read it. Yeah. Bacham issued an urgent call for a bold return to the core of Christianity, the unadulterated gospel. He emphasized the need for churches to stand firm on biblical truths without compromise, even in the face of cultural pressure and vilification. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. And it just made me think, you know, like, How often do the congregants or the attendees, just in church, right? How often do they hear a full-on, again, exposition or whatever of like Romans chapter 10, verse 9? Um, You guys know that verse. You're very familiar with it, but let me pull it up here.
0: That's when I got saved. That's when it it dawned on me when I read that as a
1: teen. You know, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. Right. How often do they hear that Jesus as Lord? Mm. We hear a lot about Savior Jesus. We don't hear a lot about Lord Jesus. Um, but you don't get one without the other. We say that a lot here. And as we mentioned earlier, Nikki mentioned earlier, how often do you hear the slave master message? That You are slave, Christ is master. You know, how often do you hear things that like, it would be better for you to suffer, even to die, than for you to sin against God? Right. Um, that you are to be obedient even unto death. That's something we're commanded to do. Um, But like, this is the call that we're supposed to be accepting. You know, our namesake here on the podcast, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said, uh, only the obedient believe and only those who believe are obedient. You know, but like, how often do Rick Warren Christians hear that message? Right? The Joel Osteen um, congregants, how often do they hear a message like that? And I would venture to guess never, Mm-mm. almost never. No. And again, because, and this is just experience, right? In our first 35 years of Christian living, if you want to call it that, we never really hear, heard a message of, you know what, it'd be better if you suffered and died than committed the least sin against God. Never heard that, you know, but it's true. We should be willing to give our lives in you know it's chasing after that, our faith
0: having that hatred for sin and the desire to obey him that we just hate the thought of sinning against such a loving god
1: yeah it's definitely something that um you know again we should be listening in for um you know i remember i think we talked about it last year or whatever, when I, I, I tried to listen to a week's worth of Joel Osteen sermons just to see what it was all about. A
0: week's worth.
1: Well, I think I only made it through like two and a half sermons, which is sad because they're only like 25 minutes long, <laughs> you know, but that gospel message that he presented is not a gospel, right? Because they talk, he talks to you for 25 minutes about how God wants to supercharge your life. And then at the end, he says, do you want to accept Jesus? Will say this prayer and you're like, what exactly are they accepting? I mean, I didn't hear anything about dying to yourself
0: or you sin. know, about sin, sin and why you need a savior. Not that
1: it just you want your life to be better. Like, so that's not a gospel. So if you're hearing a message like that, it should set off again alarm bells that like, wait, what are people supposedly accepting? Because I don't remember hearing anything about sin, anything about, you know. Where I'm going, being
0: broken over sin is seen as like spiritual abuse to those people, yeah, so I mean
1: again, we should be you know if you're in a church like that, you know and you hear this sort of softened gospel again, you should reach out to the pastor and be like, "Hey man, uh, what are we doing? What are we selling people on here? And then again, if it doesn't work, then I would encourage you to maybe start looking elsewhere so those are the first three red flags here from Vodi Uh, We do want to move on to part two of the show or part two of the interview and, and touch on what Vodi had to say here. Because I think, again, if we're not already in a post Christian culture, uh, we are sliding down that hill pretty quickly. So, do you want to read this headline again and then just these first couple paragraphs?
0: Vodi Bakum on how faith can survive post Christian culture. That detests biblical Christianity. In the early church, there was this pressure to conform to the religious ideologies of the day, he said. There was this pressure that said, it's okay for you to practice your Christianity. Your Christianity just can't be allowed to interfere with our Roman religion. Today, we see the same thing. People are saying, Listen, I don't have a problem with Christianity per se, as long as that Christianity stays within the four walls of the church and does not try to impose itself on the broader culture. And as long as that Christianity does not prevent you from bowing to the idols of the day, the minute your Christianity causes you to oppose same-sex marriage or causes you to oppose abortion or causes you to oppose so-called gender-affirming care, and so on and so forth, those things that really are the idols of the culture today. When your Christianity steps into that realm, that's the minute that you experience the various forms of opposition and potentially persecution.
1: I mean, this was basically what he says right here. This was the essential church movie yes. that we reviewed a few months or a few weeks ago or whatever it happens to be. You know, the whole point of that movie was, eh, you know, you can have your church and you can worship um, however you want until the state has need yeah. of dictating and they were how you, you worship.
0: They were telling you how to love your neighbor.
1: Yeah. You can <laughs> preach all you want, worship however you want, until we need to step in and then tell you how to do it. And then you better do it our way, right? Because then you need to listen to the state. If you try and actually adhere to the tenets of your faith against the state's demands, well, then it's going to be a problem, right? That's kind of what he's saying here. That's what the whole movie was about, which is why we highly recommend you go watch The Essential Church. Uh, You know, we just talked a few weeks ago about the Moody Bible Institute. It's the same thing there, right? You can have your Christian college. You can have your seminary, you know, but if you want to get that financial assistance from the state, well, you're going to have to alter your faith, right? You're going to have to change the tenets of your faith to fit with the tenets of the state, Mm -hmm. right? Freedom of religion, so long as your religion adheres to the state religion. If not... Well, like Moody, they're going to drag you to court or, you know, even worse, they'll send the police to your church, intimidate your congregations, shut down your services because at the end of the day, uh, the state, you know, it's always going to demand that you conform to the religious ideologies of the day Mm -hmm. that they adhere to. In our day, it's D-I-E, it's the pride religion. Those are the ruling ideologies that we're all having to, um, you know, change and, fit our religion into. The old religions must pass away to make way for the new religion. So Moody, you better start ordaining women um, because the D.I.E. religion says so. And uh, on this too is one of the sad things is you even hear people who claim to be Christian that say things like, you know, faith is a private matter. You know, like just capitulating without even being asked to capitulate. Mm-hmm. Just, you know what, I'm just, I'm not even going to make a scene. I'm not going to say anything. I'll just let bygones be bygones. No one needs to know that I believe in God or whatever happens to be like.
0: That makes me think of the the parable of the, the talents. You're burying your talent when you don't share your faith, when you keep it private. And you don't inherit eternal life because you're ashamed of yeah. the gift you've been given.
1: It's no faith at all. You can call it what you want to call it, but I would say it's no faith, especially not a Christian faith, um, because Christianity is not a private religion. It's not a private faith. It's the opposite, almost the exact opposite of what Christ taught. Nikki said the parable of the talents. Of course, I have Matthew 5, verse 14 and 16 here if you want to read those.
0: You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.
1: Yeah, so how do you not put your lamp under a basket and yet put it under a basket? <laughs> <laughs> you can't, right? Um, your faith is not a private matter. Your faith is you. Um, your faith dictates everything about you. Yeah. So uh, just kind of sad there, you know, but we do see that the state looking to impose itself on the church. And then sadly, so many in the church that are just like, I don't care. Right. Impose. It doesn't make a difference. Just don't upset my comfort, um, which is a sad thing. Mm-hmm. And then down here in this article, Vody goes on to say, or the article says, according to Bacham In post-Christian America, only certain versions of Christianity are acceptable. The watered-down social gospel, the food bank, and liberal political activist kind of version of Christianity. Mm -hmm. These things have always been okay because they remove the offense of the gospel, he said. Once the offense of the gospel is there, then all of a sudden, we're outside the camp. Um, yes, (laughs) we agree. You know, like nobody's coming for Rick Warren and Saddleback.
0: It's like once you talk about people's greatest need, like the acceptable um, Christianity is the social gospel. It's helping people with things they do need. Don't bring up the greatest need. That's that's it.
1: Yeah, I mean, because again, you know, if you're preaching... A prosperity gospel that sort of feeds into the state narrative, right? Because if your life is no longer being prosperous, well, then you must not be living rightly before God. And if you're, you know, living in contradiction to the state's values, it puts you, you know, in conflict with the state and they're persecuting you in a sense, well, then you're not being blessed by God. So, you know, in a sense, you capitulating to the state so you have an easier time is essentially a version of that sort of social gospel. I'm living rightly before God because I get along with everybody. My life couldn't be better, right? Um, It's a twisting of the gospel. And, you know, so the Saddleback churches, they're not being closed down, right? Nobody's coming for Andy Stanley's church because they don't stand for anything, right? They're no threat to the state religion of pride. They'll preach your pride from the pulpit just as easily as anything else.
0: They're just like that the ship that's tossed by the waves. They're going wherever the waves are going.
1: Yeah, so those kind of churches, not a risk at all. you know. But the James Coates' of the world, again, if you watched the Essential Church movie, they talk about James Coates, um, Grace Life Church in Alberta, Canada, right? He's a risk. That guy, his faith actually moves him to action. And that can't stand in this sort of um, post-Christian culture that we find ourselves in, right? He's going to get arrested. You know, his church was barricaded by the police, by fences, because of his faith, because his convictions led to a lifestyle that contradicted the religion of pride, you know, contradicted state subservience. Um, And that can't stand, right? You're allowed to be a Christian until it becomes a nuisance. And then you can't anymore.
0: So they're trying to force Christians to keep their faith private. You can't go out and be around people. You can't gather. Can't sing hymns. Just nothing.
1: Yeah, you can be a Christian in the state, you know, authorized manner. You know, hey, you can be a Christian. I know Christians are supposed to gather and worship, but COVID. Okay, well, we'll just go and sit in our house then for two years. There you go. That's a good boy. Um, Right? But when you're James Coates and you go, "Uh, no, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to gather with my congregation. We're supposed to worship in song. Well, that gets you thrown in jail when the state says no, right? Um, like Vodi said, he's now outside the camp. That's not acceptable anymore. Freedom of religion, as long as it's the state's religion. Um, so definitely uh, something I think Vodi is hitting on perfectly well here.
0: That's why, like, faith without works is dead. Like, you have your faith, but you can't have any works. Yeah, it's which deadly, says you have then. no faith at Just all. trying to... Kill the faith, but it's also a test of your faith when that happens. And they try to make it so your faith doesn't show. They don't want to see. The enemy doesn't want to see the evidence of your faith. He hates the evidence of your faith. Just keep it under a basket.
1: Right, and I mean, nobody wants to go through persecution, of course. But if our mind is right and our you know hearts are right and our faith in God is sound, then we would understand that you know the testing of our faith is a beautiful thing yeah a chance to stand mm-hmm. for god and actually when it matters
0: and your light shines brighter in that time too i mean everybody else is encouraged and it emboldens them to stand firm when persecution comes just like with paul the apostle it i don't remember which epistle it was but he brought up how it um emboldened the other believers his chains Um.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes me, I can't think of the verse, and I don't know what epistle you're talking about, but the verse in, you know, Acts, what was it, chapter 2 or 4 or something, where the apostles are arrested and beaten and then, you know, let go, and they went away rejoicing that they were able to suffer for for Christ, right? You know, we should all not necessarily hope for that, you know, pray that we would live quiet and peaceable lives. But if an opportunity presents itself, we should be grateful for that. A chance to really see what we're made of and test our mettle. It's kind
0: of funny how whenever the enemy wants to persecute and when you stand firm, everybody sees it. Like your name is remembered. Not that it's about our name, but it's about Christ. So anytime the devil tries to hit you, tries to persecute you, opportunity for God to be glorified if you stand firm. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, but, you know, like what vodi's talking about here, it's not theoretical. You know, this idea of, um, you know, what's he saying here? You know, certain versions of Christianity being acceptable, you know, being put outside the camp. It's not theoretical. Um, you know, it's happening here in the West. We see it happening in the West, in our own hemisphere, right? It's happening. So it's not theoretical. It's something that we should be aware of and something, again, that we should be Praying that our faith would be strong if it should come our way. You know, not being, you know, blind and ignorant to it. You know, thinking it would never happen. Because we've seen a lot in recent years. Do you want to read this uh, next point here from Vody? Let me see if I can find it. There it is.
0: The academy is the church of the modern age, he said. The academy is where we find the priests of the modern age The academy is where you go in order to experience the sacraments of the modern age. It is the church of the secular humanist, postmodern, and neo-Marxist worldview. Biblical Christianity stands in stark opposition to that particular religion and those gatekeepers.
1: Ah, yes it does. Um, Boy, even still, like, Christians do not like to make this leap. You know, there's so many Christians today that still seem to try to get their legitimacy from the secular realm, you know, and I think this is why you see so many Christians today that try to have this blend of like Christianity with secular science, or whatever happens to be, right? We try to fold evolution into Christianity, for example, you know, even we had all the supposed Christian leaders, if you want to call them that, you know, the Russell Moores and the Tim Kellers. You know, out there telling us, well, you know, COVID, the vaccine must be from God, you know, and like trying to fold it in because they still wanted to get their legitimacy from the secular world, from, the, you know, academia or whatever it happens to be. Um, their self-worth seemed like, and a lot of Christians it seemed like their self-worth still comes from the secular world. Because again, the propaganda, yeah. the indoctrination tells us these are, you know, the, the mighty men, the high and lofty ones, the in, you know, intelligentsia. And so we still go there to go, well, see, so am I, because these guys like me, these guys agree with me
0: mm-hmm. instead
1: of being like, yeah, I don't care what they think because I think they're wrong. So why would I care what someone who's wrong thinks about me? If I think I'm right, what does it make a difference? You know? Yeah. Um, it's like, should LeBron James care about somebody who doesn't know how to play basketball? No. Why would he care? They don't know what they're talking about.
0: I don't know why the church cares what the world thinks.
1: But we still do. Matters. We are, con- it seems like, and not everybody, you know, there are many, many good, faithful Christians, but it's just, it's something you see a lot, you know, and of course he's right. The academy is the church of the modern age, right? Um, that's where all of our priests and prophets reside for the, uh, you know, evolutionists, the atheistic they all reside in academia and but you just see so many that seem to try to go there and even if they don't say it it seems like you're you know their actions speak louder than their words kind of a thing and we just got to get out of that mindset we're going to be mocked and ridiculed um, by them because they think we're you know stupid we're idiots we don't and like you better be comfortable with that you better be okay with that if you want to walk a faithful life um you know in fear and reverence to God, because you're either going to be, you know, making your concern the secular, the atheistic world, or your concern is going to be God. You know, who do you, who are you concerned with how they think of you? You know, people who hate the God you claim to serve, or God, you know, because you can't really appease both. If you're really appeasing the secular world, you're probably not living the righteous life you should be living. Mm -hmm. So That's definitely something we need to come to grips with. Understand it. That is their priest and their prophet. So why are you going to try to go and, you know, make peace and find, you know, your self-worth in the priests and prophets of a false religion? It doesn't make any sense, you know. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to go to a false religion to tell me how closely I'm following God. (laughs) Just seems simple, but, or, uh, silly. So, Uh, Let me see. We got one or two more quotes here from this that I wanted to uh, talk about. This is just such a good article. We like Vody, So I think it's worth discussing here. So do you want to read this next quote here?
0: Bauckham urges Christians to prepare for the opposition they will face in a post-Christian culture by knowing what they believe and being ready to defend their faith. He encourages believers to be prepared to face the consequences of standing firm in their beliefs, even if it means unpleasant repercussions. And I know what he said earlier, it, um, it's an urgent um, need. It is urgent because it's, it's right on the horizon. Like, And he's been saying this stuff for years, for a decade or two. Like he's known this is coming.
1: Well, I mean that's essentially why he's rewriting this book. So this interview was kind of, I think, spurned on by the fact that he was like putting on a revision to a book he wrote in 2004 that deals a lot with this. (laughs) Yeah, we we didn't know who voted. I mean, we heard a
0: lot of his preaching, anyways, on this matter. Right. So.
1: Well, and it is urgent. It's so urgent that it's already happened.
0: Uh, (laughs) I know. know. It's already, yes.
1: We talked about the Essential Church movie. It is happening. Persecution, unpleasant repercussions, they are happening. It was like
0: that was just them testing the waters to see how far they could go. And now it's like, and that was God's mercy, really, that they would even not continue with that. And now it was God's mercy because now we have time to wake up um, and take his word serious and be prepared to stand firm next time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, do we get a do-over, you know, for those who didn't stand? You know, because I think that was one of the things John MacArthur um, said. I don't know if it was in a sermon or just a talk, but he mentioned about when he put the essential church out that he wanted to, I don't know if he said a embarrass other pastors or a shame, I think you might have said, I want them to be ashamed.
0: Yeah.
1: And were they? So now when they see this, you know, hopefully they watch the moon. They're like, I'm gonna be James Coates. You know, I should have been him from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why, you know, we should help our pastors. Everyone's human, makes mistakes. We've all failed God a thousand times and we will a thousand more, you know. But hopefully, yeah, if we do get a do-over, which we would expect, we will get a do-over a chance to really stand and face the unpleasant repercussions that many more will, you know, because the repercussions could just be simple, right? I mean, it could just be, you know, exclusion from a social circle of your friends, whoever it happens to be, you know, maybe they find out that you happen to read the Bible and now you're a young earth creationist and, you know, now they're, they don't want to hang out with you because you're a kook now, right? Or maybe it's at work. Uh, maybe you get sneers from your work colleagues because you hear something bad and you tell them, hey, I'll, I'll pray for you. Can I, you know, what can I pray for you about? And they laugh and sneer at you about prayer. Isn't what is that? It it's crazy
0: this? thinking like the real persecutions that happen and, you know, our cloud of witnesses, the saints, the martyred ones, you know, watching and thinking like, why can't they stand firm in this light, barely persecution? or they are really like cheering us on even if it's nothing compared to what they went through you know they're, they they yeah. were tortured and everything and they're still cheering us on it's not like i don't know cuz it's it's hard in one sense because we've been so comfortable we've had comforts that they don't that they've never experienced so it is a persecution for us because we're coming out of such comfort and yeah. it seems drastic for us, even though, yeah, I'm not comparing it to being martyred, but the light things you're talking about. Yeah.
1: Social media martyrdom. I know. Um, you know, and yeah, it is, right? It's a different animal to altogether. But, yeah. you know, it is because we've had such a, a blessed, you know, Christian existence in this land for so long. But, um, you know, prepare for that, you know, and and be okay with that if you get moved out of some social circles. and if that's all that happens, be grateful to God that that's all that happened. Because it could get worse, right? You could lose your job. Many people lost their job for their faith. Um, But it could be, like we talked about James Coates and these guys, it could be imprisonment for your faith. That could be an unpleasant repercussion that's coming. Um, So you better prepare yourself for that and figure out, you know, what are you going to stand for if something should come your way? Because I think a lot of the things that got people... Um, you know, in a sinful state really was they weren't prepared for it. Mm-hmm. We didn't see um, the pandemic coming. We didn't see nationwide lockdowns coming. We didn't, we weren't prepared yeah. for it. So when it came, you know, it caught a lot of people off guard and, yeah, you know, but now you had the chance, you, you saw what was mm-hmm. coming. So you can't be surprised again, right? Fool me once, shame on me, or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? So if you get fooled again, shame on you.
0: But now we've had time to really get into the scripture and know, like, what the essential church movie was about. Like, there is a way to worship God. There's things we do when we come together as believers. Um, those are commands. And when the state is telling you, you can't obey God's command, like... Are we going to be ready? Are we really pondering what it means to worship God, to follow his commands, what it means to serve and love one another? Um, There was no exceptions with those commands. And I think a lot of people didn't understand what worship was, what the body of Christ was, what loving one another was. It's action. It's not just a feeling. Um, It's not just talking on social media. And if our opportunity to be together and love and serve the body which is Christ is being threatened we can't sit home and watch a sermon or zoom zoom call each other like that isn't obeying the command of God and i think we really need no, to do that no and i think that.
1: that that's fine in a normal circumstance you know zoom call and sitting at home but when it becomes you better stay home or else Well, now you need to be like, nah, my faith is moving me to action. I'm going to worship, right? You know, am I, again, am I going to be told how I'm supposed to worship or am I going to let the scriptures tell me how I'm supposed to worship? So, you know, but whatever the level of persecution that comes your way, um, again, we should just all be preparing that it will come. And what Vodi Bauckham says in this article here, I think is very important. He says um, that if persecution comes, that doesn't mean we did anything wrong,
0: yeah. Right. It doesn't mean we didn't have faith and our God didn't hear our prayers. No, our prayers should be, like what you said, that we're prepared if persecution comes. Like, Yeah, yeah. so even if wrong. you're
1: just persecuted by getting kicked out of your social circle or persecuted by thrown in prison, if you're adhering to God's word, it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. In fact, it probably means what it's always meant, right? It means that the world hates us because it hates and rejects God. So... God's people that live according to his will are going to suffer. It's yeah, like, always been that way. And we shouldn't be surprised or think that if we suffer, well, what did I do wrong? I mean, it's good to examine your own heart and your own motives. But if you're living as close as you can and you're suffering for it, then suffer for it and suffer joyfully.
0: I think that was a good point you made earlier, how like the uh, prosperity gospel preachers are going to be looking on and pointing at those using them as an example those who are getting maybe thrown in prison or whatever whatever persecutions coming and they are going to be teaching their congregation that oh they lacked faith or they must have sinned um done something to get that because Christians should just be blessed and yeah well it's blessed to be persecuted
1: well right and they'll throw you know <laughs> Romans 13 you're, you know they're yeah. They're placed over us, and we need to adhere. I mean, it's been this way since the beginning, right? I mean, it's the the mass of people who were following Jesus for his miracles, and then, you know, a few weeks later, they're yelling, "Crucify him!" You know, it doesn't make a difference
0: that um, God does not give as the world gives. He doesn't give us the kinds of blessings that you know, pretty much that Satan (laughs) was tempting Jesus with. yeah. God doesn't give that way. His blessings are um, spiritual blessings, uh, the you know the fruit of the spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit, things that edify the body. And um,
1: yeah, so you need to get yourself prepared, and the more prepared you are, the more of a benefit you'll be to others to help them when times get tough. You know, they'll look to lean on you hopefully, and you'll be able to help pull them through kind of the way we should work that's why we need community yes um so the last point i want to bring up from this article here that Vody talked about is a point that we like to harp on a lot here so again i think it's always worth mentioning a second time or a hundredth time for us on this topic he says we need to get our children out of government schools he said citing luke chapter 6 verse 40 which i'll just read says A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Mm -hmm. But I'll go on. He says, We've got a lot of people going to war with the school system today because of the things that we see that are outrageous. But there have been outrageous things that we haven't seen for decades. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. We need to not only be serious about discipling our children in terms of teaching them what thus saith the Lord— but also be serious about discipling our children in terms of giving them a full Christian education, bathed in a Christian worldview so that they can be prepared to face this culture as opposed to baptized in it.
0: Yeah, I like that verse. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So who's teaching your kids? They're going to be like the one who's teaching them.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, and this is absolutely right. I mean, again, that's why we talk about homeschooling your kids all the time. We have to get our kids out of these state-run schools, in our opinion, right? Because if you're going to continue to send your kids to these state-run education uh, facilities, right, and then think that they're going to come away believing anything other than what the state's been teaching them after they sit in there for eight hours a day for 12 years straight, I think you're you're kind of fooling yourselves i mean and again maybe this is why so many supposed christians right maybe that 55 who don't believe the bible but call themselves christians go and seek the secular world's approval mm-hmm. for who they are and their self-worth right because they've been bathed in it for their yeah. entire childhood they yeah. were raised to seek the approval of these you know secular educators right
0: who they want the approval of the one they love so it makes sense they love the world so
1: yeah i mean it only makes sense and again this would bring with it some of that um maybe those unpleasant repercussions that Vodi was talking about you know when it comes to homeschooling your kids you know maybe it means If you pull your kids out of school, well, maybe your wife can't work a full-time job anymore. You're going to lose a lot of that income, right? You might have to trade in your new cars for some used cars. Uh, Maybe you have to make a more affordable home purchase. And I'm not saying this in jest because these are tough decisions for people to make. I mean, we live in a materialistic, you know, world where basically, you know, much of our self-worth is tied up in how much money we make you know, what we're able to buy and what we're able to wear and travel and all these sorts of things. And to say, yeah, I'm going to remove myself from that. Mm -hmm. And we're going to shop at thrift stores. And I'm just going to fix the car that I already have paid off instead of getting a new one. And we're not, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not going to take a vacation because we can't afford it. Like those are real, you know, and again, it's, it's silly when you look at it in light of, you know, the Somali Christian who's getting his head cut off. But again, We deal with what we're dealt, and that is a difficult decision to make for people, especially if you're already, you know, engulfed in that lifestyle to step back and go, yeah, I think we need for the betterment of our kids, we've got to do this. Um, And, you know, we've been saying forever that homeschooling is the revolution this country needs to get out of these state run educations train our Brilliant. children the way they should go and in christian kids living getting off social media well absolutely go well, getting ourselves off ourselves. social media as well um, but this yeah. is the revolution the country needs it's the revolution christian families need to begin investing in themselves but i would say with this we also need to include in here an increased activity in the church um, Yeah. I think you actually have to go to church and be involved in church, like not just a Sunday morning, you know, maybe you, you work the coffee counter on a Sunday morning once a month, and, but maybe you go Sunday nights as well. Maybe you go to a Wednesday service. Mm-hmm. Maybe you go to small groups and your kids go to youth groups, right? Because church and church people should be our life and our community. That yes. should be who we're engaged with yeah. most regularly. You know, you can't just have the cross necklace on, a dusty old Bible on the bookshelf, and that's good enough. Mm
0: -hmm. It can't
1: be. It's got to be the community gathering together, fellowshipping. That's got to be our life. need
0: to learn that. They also need to learn, as we do, how to love the body of Christ and really what fellowship is. And we are a body of believers, like to really understand that we are... We are the body of Christ. <laughs> like, it's just really think on that. Um, we're not supposed to neglect um, coming together, having a meal together. Mm. That didn't mean just go to church and hear a sermon and then never talk to anybody. I know a lot of people like that. They're like, I don't want to be bothered. I just want to go and well, do right. my thing. That was and us then for 35 get years. Home. That you're not obeying that command when you're just attending church. Like we're supposed to do life together. That's a real thing. We are a family and our kids need to learn that, need to be brought up in that, or they're just going to repeat what we did and just attend church and have no accountability and have no love for the people in the church. And we used to send our kids to school and I used to believe, you know, when they were younger, even elementary, um, oh, you know, they're going to. You know, they'll share the gospel, like, you know, they're gonna share their faith. You know, they're not ready for that. Um, and, and scripture also says bad company corrupts good morals. That's more likely to happen than your kid being a light in the school and people getting saved through your kid. Like that's just really foolish to think that's gonna happen instead of you're just sending your kid. I know I've said that before, it's sending them into a battle when they're not fully trained yet. You're not done teaching them, but you're having someone else teach them the culture, teach them and mold them. Um,
1: Right. And we have all of, you know, American history and especially the the last 60 years to prove that that doesn't work. Because if that was the case, then this. Nation would be getting more Christian instead of less Christian, and it's not. It's getting less Christian in droves. Yeah. So whatever your great plans might have been about sending your kids to the mission field of their public school, Mm -mm. it ain't working. Um. So spare them and train them in the way they should go. So, uh, do you have any final thoughts here on either of Vodi Bachum's interviews, Part One or Part Two? Uh no. Okay, yeah. Go give the articles a read, um, and again, let us know what you think. You know, if you think there's other red flags that we should be looking out for, um, or if you think he's wrong on some of these um, red flags. If you're like topical preaching's the way to go, well, we want to hear from you. Again, we're there open are to discussion. Some good
0: topical sermons. Like, we've heard some really good ones. Yeah. Still. So
1: let us yeah. know. Uh, we're we're open to uh, having these discussions.
0: I don't know. Do all these does does Vody preach? I mean, the ones I've heard online, I don't know if they were topical or...
1: No, he's There's a...
0: some we really like that I don't know if they do that kind of preaching, um, but they do expound on the scriptures.
1: Um... Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not saying all topical is bad. You know, there is good. I mean, you know, we've, I think...
0: I think it's where they're going with the topical sermon. Well, I
1: think we've mentioned Steve Smotherman. I think we've even recommended some of his Mm -hmm. sermons on here before. He's a topical preacher by and large, Um, but we enjoyed some of it. So yeah, yeah. Let us know. Uh, We want to hear, want to have some Mm -hmm. discussions with you guys. I think it's good. It sharpens, but you know, iron sharpens iron, right? When we have these discussions. So let us know. Um, But we'll keep this thing moving here and get into our Bible topic. Uh, Oh, actually, no, we won't. Um. We will end, as we normally like to end with our uh, main discussion here, with uh, discussing why it's important to Christians, why this idea of, you know, these red flags to look out for and living in a post-Christian culture. Um, I think it's important because we can't believe that this is, you know, something like, oh, we're just going to trick ourselves and, you know, somehow make ourselves believe that somehow we're going to miraculously revert back to the 1940s America you know, this, you know, Christian America that somehow we reelected Donald Trump, you know, and he's going to now everything in the country is right. It's all fixed. And I guess just on that note, as we're going to be talking about politics here soon. Um, Trump is indicted again in Georgia. I'm sure you guys have all seen that. So Christians, whoever should prepare yourselves, um, that he's most likely going to jail or some sort of confinement, you know, and it's not unlikely that he's not even going to be allowed on ballots in many of the more liberal states, you know, so if you're banking on Trump saving America and taking us back to 1940s Christian America, you may have a rude awakening. Um, You know, I just have a hard time believing that sort of Christian or even conservative, you know, Trump fascination, I feel like at this point is far more idolatry than anything else, more than like political astuteness. You know, so uh, brace yourself. We will discuss his Tucker interview coming Mm -hmm. up on Saturday. But yikes, uh, we can't fool ourselves into thinking that we need to prepare ourselves for the very real possibility, you know, and probability, if you want to call it that, that You know, our 250 years or so of Christian influence and Christian freedom in this nation is passing away. We got to get ready for that. Enjoy it while we can. Pray that it continues, but prepare that it may not. Um, You know, so what should we do about it? I think we should start examining our faith. That's why we're having these discussions. Like actually wrestle with what you believe and why you believe it. You know, just claiming to be Christian because it's socially expected in America may not be the case moving forward. You know, you might have to actually understand what it means to be a follower of Christ and then be willing to accept those ramifications. You know, so we need to do ourselves the favor of spending some time in study, spending some time in prayer and figure out our faith, you know, kind of refocus our lives if we have to. As you're studying and praying, if stuff comes to mind, we may have to actually act on it and move on it and not just bury it down deep like we always have. Um, so how should we pray about it? Because Christians should pray about everything. You know, I think we should always be praying first and foremost that God would be merciful to this nation, you know, that he wouldn't remove his hand of blessing from this land, and that, hey, pray that we would revert back to a Christ-honoring country. You know, just because it doesn't look like we're trending in that direction doesn't mean God can't correct our course. If He wants to, He can. So we should pray that He would. You know, but we should also pray that our faith would be strong and that we'd be able to stand whether we're thriving in the majority again or suffering as a minority. You know, so just pray that situation wouldn't dictate your faith or your devotion to God. So um, with that being said, now we will move. Onto our Bible topic, uh, unless you have any last thoughts. Nope. All right, so we're going to end today's show with our discussion on the, the Bible topic we've been going through for a while now, which is Mark Jones's book, "Knowing Sin."
0: Did you bring it in here?
1: Nope, I did not bring the book in here. Oh, I was going to bring some Unfortunately. So, um, this week we are on chapter eleven of the book which is titled sin's selfishness and this chapter looks at love but it looks more specifically at self-love and it looks at it from three different angles so in here um, jones notes says historically reformed theologians have spoken of three types of self-love they distinguish between a natural self-love which all creatures possess sinful self-love, which all humans possess, and a gracious self-love, which God's chosen ones possess. Hmm. So we're going to take a look at all three of these types of love. So let's look first at natural self-love. Do you want to read this quote here on natural self-love from Stephen Sharnock?
0: This self-love is not only commendable, but necessary as a rule to measure that duty we owe to our neighbor, whom we cannot love as ourselves, if we do not first love ourselves. God, having planted this self-love in our nature, makes this natural principle the measure of our affection to all mankind of the same blood with ourselves.
1: And then Jones goes on to sum that up, basically saying, the person who eats and sleeps shows a form of self-love insofar as such acts are preserving life, you know, so we all have this natural self love and we should all have a natural self love. You know, this form of love, like Joan says, it causes us to actually care for ourselves. You know, I would say a person who lacks this form of self love, you know, whether it be for like a mental illness or maybe a demonic possession, whatever happens to be, maybe someone like a, you know, like a cutter or somebody like that, they cut themselves or, whatever happens to be, you know, but most people are going to seek to do good to themselves. They're going to take care of themselves and that's godly and it's right to do that.
0: Did you hear what, well, your sermon recommendation, the, um, John Piper kind of brought up what you said there, like someone who maybe cuts themselves or I don't know if you remember, he brought that up in one part of it.
1: I promise I didn't steal from John Piper. I just want to That was my own thought. Say
0: something. Well, I didn't think you did because you didn't go where he went with it. Um I'm not as smart as him. Well, definitely listened to the sermon recommendation, but I I just wanted to say because you brought it up, someone who cuts themselves doesn't hate themselves. Um because John Piper said someone who cuts themselves often um I guess there was an instance Maybe he was saying in there he met somebody who said that or heard... Spoiler. Somebody. No, it's really important to bring up. Just, you said it, so I just want to clear it up that they don't hate themselves. They want attention, which is a form of self-love. Everybody wants attention. Or even, um. well, I guess if they want to cut themselves and they go to the doctor, they get human touch. They get cared for. They desire to be cared for. Or someone who commits suicide, um... They love themselves so much, they want to end their pain. Whatever they're going through physically, emotionally, they're doing it because they don't want to be in pain. They're avoiding pain. Yeah, I mean, so maybe it's just a perverting
1: of your natural self-love instinct rather than a lack of it. You know, maybe it's a perversion of it rather than an absence. So I
0: mean, just think about um, Judas hanged himself. Did he... You know, was it a, a hatred of himself that he did that? I don't know, that's kind of like well, and I'm sure that there's some there's just some instances to think about,
1: right. Maybe well, not everybody's lumped into the same boat, of course. I mean, obviously, there's nuance in all of this stuff. so yeah, I think I mean, I will I guess give what he's talking John about Piper here. Credit that he
0: doesn't get that deep in this chapter, but John Piper was talking about some deeper stuff yeah which was really interesting so listen to listen to it definitely go get
1: the book links will be in the show notes (laughs) and then listen to john piper after this and uh come away with your own conclusions
0: let us know in the comments yes
1: yeah you know it made me think though of like working out and eating right it's sort of a form of self-love that's kind of what i was thinking you know and for the most part we all have this natural self-love you know like we mentioned Um, And it's good and it's right and stuff like that. But though, like what Piper is talking about here and what we're talking about, um, it can go so far to where now you're in sin, right? You love yourself that you want to take away the pain so you kill yourself. Well, you've sinned, right? You've gone too far with that natural self-love. You know, but just simply caring for yourself, that's good and right and godly. Mm -hmm. Um, He's given us that natural self-love. So That's the first form of self-love that they discuss in this. The second form of self-love, Jones points out, is sinful self-love or carnal self-love. And just like natural self-love is innate to every human being, so is sinful self-love. Jones notes, this love arises in the human heart as naturally as we breathe. And then, Jones pens poetry to my heart uh, if you will in describing this love he says cowards for example are those who live according to sinful self-love they do not live by faith and so they live in fear revelation 21:8 i thought well you can find links to our cowards go to hell shirt <laughs> if you want one in the show notes down in the descriptions go pick yourself up a A nice cowards go to hell shirt.
0: What does it say on the side, on the sleeve?
1: Oh, now you're trying to have me remember something, which is not my strong suit.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought it up. I was just curious. I don't remember what you put on there.
1: And of course... Oh, there's a side picture. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Give us a minute. Nikki has questions.
0: Which is the... Oh, the second oh, yeah, death. Yeah,
1: it says which is the second death. So I will pull it up just in case you want to see it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's I our. I saw show an there.
0: interesting post the other day. I don't remember who it was by, but if you are born twice, you die once. If you're born once, you die twice. Yeah. I'm like that's pretty cool. Like that is true. You'd be born of water and of the spirit and you won't taste death.
1: Yeah. I've heard that saying before. It's That's a good cool. one. Um, but yeah, you know, this same type of sinful self-love Paul references in second Timothy chapter three, verse two, where he talks about um, people will be lovers of self lovers of money, you know, the proud and arrogant and all this sort of stuff. So that's that self, the sinful self-love. And the sinful self-love, it's very similar. It's akin to pride, if you will.
0: Well, it's not loving others as yourself. You're only focused on yourself. Only you. Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, by and large, it's going to lead you towards, you know, and that's again where, you know, the natural self-love and even the third type of love and stuff can start out good. But because of our sinful nature, it can always devolve into a sinful self-love. And um, really, probably without, you know, the spirit in you, most everything you do, even if it's for others, is going to be out of a, you know, probably a sinful uh, place. You know, doing something out of the goodness of your heart, not so much. More out of to gain favor, to look some sort of way, whatever happens to be. So that's more of that sinful self-love. Um, and again, this made me think of working out, you know, something we talked about was a natural self-love, but you know, if you're working out to keep yourself healthy, eating, you know, to be healthy, whatever, that's natural self-love. But if that leads you to the place where now you've become judgmental of others that aren't working out or they're overweight, whatever they eat unhealthy. Now you're judging them, well, you know, or even if it goes further, you know, you're working out to be healthy, natural self-love. And then very quickly, you know, now you're taking your clothes off on the internet and calling yourself a fitness influencer. Well, you've gone from natural self-love to sinful self-love because it's birthed out of pride, right? Pride is the foundation, the building block of all sin. And um, I would say that's kind of the same thing where you can kind of devolve from one form into the other. Mm -hmm. So we got to watch out for that. And then do you want to read this quote here from, I think it's kind of a mishmash of Jones and Stephen Charnock that I threw together.
0: Often our idea of what is true and good is not God's word, but the inclination of self, the gratifying of which is the aim of our whole lives.
1: Yeah. I mean, this makes me think of basically the pride movement as a whole, right? Yeah. Their pride is not in anything from God's word, but rather it's pride in rejection of God's word, and therefore it's sinful, you know, which is, you know, why having Christians claim, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, when they're living in complete rejection of God's commandments is crazy. And it's also sinful of those supposed Christians to make that claim.
0: Yeah. So if loving your neighbor as yourself, causes you to not obey God and honor him, then you're not loving your neighbors yourself. You're actually leading them away from God. So love guides and corrects with God's truth.
1: Yeah. Hey, what are you doing correcting Tommy? You let him go to hell. That's the kind <laughs> thing that you just shut your mouth and let him live, go to hell. Live and
0: let live.
1: Because we Let's love live. him. Yeah, it's crazy. That's and a it's simple, religion, right?
0: right? It's keeping your, uh, faith to yourself. And by doing that, you're disobeying God. Oh,
1: (laughs) it's not very loving. But so the third and final love is supernatural self-love. And Jones writes in there, the cure for self-love is self-love. and uh, It's also what Stephen Charnock calls gracious self-love. And Charnock writes about these three types of self-love. Do you want to read what Charnock wrote?
0: The first is from nature, the second from sin, the third from grace. The first is implanted by creation, the second the fruit of corruption, the third is by the powerful operation of grace.
1: Yep. So supernatural self-love is basically what allows us to follow Christ's commands. You know, Luke, uh, what is it, chapter 6, or chapter 9, verse 23, where he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is that supernatural self-love. And Jones puts it this way. He says, Gracious self-love is living a life of self-denial as we serve Christ first and foremost, and believe the promises that await the faithful.
0: Mm, It's like this grace to love Christ. And that is loving yourself. Denying yourself is taking care of yourself spiritually. So it's like we all know how to take care of ourselves, you know, in a fleshly sense. (laughs) But spiritually, that's the grace of God. That's
1: yeah, that's why it's the true, the truest, I guess, form of self love, you know, kind of denying ourselves. But it's what the world hates this sort sort of self love, this supernatural self love, gracious self love, and like you said, it's what the the flesh hates mostly as well. You know, the world's gonna mock and ridicule this sort of supernatural self love, even though it is in fact what's best for us. Again, going back to the kind of Love your neighbor as your, you know, self, you know, even when they're living in sin. That's not a supernatural self-love. You're not telling them to deny their flesh for the, you know, so that they don't die twice, in a sense, like Nikki was saying. You know, made me think it's the widow's might sort of mindset, right? Giving all she has, uh, even her very last, because she knows that God sees her and God cares for her. That's a a form of self-love when the world would tell you, like, you better hold on to that. You might need to get some food, you know, whatever. But her mind's like, no, I know God's going to take care of me. I'm going to give him my very last. Um, You know, it's the idea of, like, forgiving someone, even when the world tells you that you have every right to hate them. But that supernatural self-love will push you to forgiving that person. The
0: sinful self-love wants to defend self wants to judge yeah. and, and they're going to respect me,
1: you know, that sort of stuff instead of being like, no, Laying God sees, down.
0: yeah,
1: you know, they, that whole, like you're playing for an audience of one sort of thing. Um, but importantly on this idea of supernatural self-love, like Jones and Sharnock say, it's a gift of grace, um, which means it's a gift of God. So this supernatural self-love is not something that you can just drum up on your own. It's got to be Holy Spirit mm, implanted is. in you.
0: Because um, it's a new way of living that you would never think of living to lay, lay down your own desires. Um, even no, if nobody you need a new sees, heart. only God sees something sometimes.
1: Yeah, you need a new heart, and you can't give yourself a new heart. Only God can. Um, but this gracious self-love, you know, again, oftentimes it's self-denial. It's flesh denial. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sinful self-love, that's, you know, most often is things that are flesh gratifying, you know. And so what might seem like self-love is actually sinful self-love, which in turn is actually self-hate. Because if you're gratifying the flesh, you're in a sense, you know, doing that, which is the, you know, the most bad for you. (laughs) You know, you hate yourself, even though you don't understand it.
0: In our love of ourselves, we end up killing ourselves. If we gave into every, yeah. Like what's more enjoyable than just
1: like sitting on the couch with bowls of ice cream. We're not killing
0: ourselves because we hate ourselves. We're doing it because we love ourselves that we're just giving into everything. You're like a spoiled child. Like if you say yes to your kid, everything I ask, you're going to kill them. Right. I mean, that's why it's sinful
1: sick. self-love. You don't even understand that it's actually hateful towards yourself because you think you're doing it out of love um, for yourself, yeah. but it's just not.
0: But John Piper said in the and I'm not going to like do a bunch of spoilers. I just want to say what he talked about was—well, um, Scripture says—I don't even remember what verse it was, but um, no man ever hated himself, so love your neighbor as yourself— and how our culture, he says, like from the 1970s, like the church has adopted this whole idea. Um, we need to be taught how to love ourselves, and if we don't love ourselves properly, we can't love others, and that's why we have a hard. People have a hard time being nice to others because they don't love themselves. So it kind of stems from that. Um, that's what's wrong a with the church, and that's like where like prosperity gospel comes from, like the Joel Osteen's type. Don't want to talk about sin because he thinks, oh, people already know how bad they are. They need to be esteemed. They need to be told how wonderful they are. When no, everybody loves themselves. They don't need to be taught how to love themselves. Not a single person in the world hates themselves. Scripture says so. So,
1: yeah, I mean, and he's, you know, right on that, I would say. Um,
0: But give it a listen. I didn't give it all away.
1: No, give it a listen. It's a good, you know, but and again, because you know, it's that fine line, right? You know, where um, I'm losing my train of thought here. I mean, like self esteem, in one sense is good, because you don't want to be beating yourself down, can't drag yourself out of bed, you know, all these sorts of things. But again, it's that slippery slope where it's very easy to go from, hey, you know what, you're overweight, but it doesn't mean you got to become anorexic, you know, just, you know, take care of it, right? Like, you know, you don't have to hate yourself. You can love who you are. You can do these sort without being like, you know. Now we're in the, you know, UBU movement where, you know, now if you're overweight, overweight's beautiful, and you know, you got people on TikTok that you know just eating. Their whole grift is to just eat thousands of calories and make it, you know, you know, like so. Now you've taken self-esteem where, like, hey, you're overweight, but that's fine. You don't have to beat yourself up that bad. To now, it's like. No, this is who I am and you'll accept me for this. And if you say anything about it, you're the hateful one. And like, all right, you've gone off the deep end now. You think of the
0: stupid things people do, like the whole eating a Tide Pod thing. Like, did people do that because they hated themselves? No, it's because they love themselves and they'll do stupid stuff that can kill themselves for fame. It's out of love for themselves that they did something dumb.
1: Yeah, so we as Christians, you know, we need to properly manage, looking at these three forms of self-love, we need to properly manage our natural self-love. You know, we should pray for guardrails around that natural self-love. And we need to deny our sinful self-love. So we should be praying for freedom and, uh, you know, from whatever those sinful desires are. And we need to walk in our supernatural self-love. And I think in that vein, we need to pray for courage we need to pray for faith to be able to walk in that supernatural self-love because it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so on this Bible topic here, self-love, do you have any final thoughts?
0: No, we can end it. I know it's getting pretty long.
1: <laughs> yeah, we ran a little bit long, but um, we like this this topic. And mm-hmm. uh, I will go to our sermon recommendation, even though Nikki told you the entire thing already. And uh, it's only like, I'm just kidding,
0: 10, 12 minutes long.
1: No, it's a, uh, yeah. It's not even a sermon. It's like a podcast from John Piper. Yeah. Called You Don't Need More Self Love. Uh, so, perfect sermon recommendation there. It's not terribly long, but I do think it's important just to look at it from a, a di- different angle, I suppose. He's talking more about self esteem, but still good. um, Because that is still a slippery slope as well. So
0: yeah, like how to love your neighbor as yourself, what that really means.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we definitely need that teaching in today's Christian America for sure. So um, that's all we got for today. We will be back just a few days talking about the Republican presidential debate, Donald Trump and all that. So if you're still with us, that must mean you have probably at least enjoyed the show a little bit. So Go ahead and consider uh, dropping a like, maybe subscribing, sticking around long term with us. We'd love to have you here. Maybe leave a comment, send us an email, whatever happens to be. Um, But otherwise, uh, we're still staying away from the daily devotionals. Those will be coming back once this semester of school ends. Um, So we will see you on Saturday and then a week from Saturday with whatever the world happens to throw at us. So have a blessed week. That's all.